In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, me and my guy Leaf, actually, I'm just going to host, and this is all about Leaf. He is going to give out grades since the season is pretty much over. He's going to give out grades for his top prospects coming into the season in the Pac-12. So find out who gets A and find out who may get a C or a D. Stay tuned. All right, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies. And my co-host for the day, Leaf Tuline, is the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. But before we get into college basketball, the team that Leaf is connected to or employed by, or I don't know exactly, but I know you are heavily affiliated with the Utah Jazz, and they were in town tonight to play the Dallas Mavericks, which is my adopted hometown team. I, I just left the game. It was a really good game. Before the game, when I saw the Jazz's starting lineup, I don't even, is that correct? The Jazz's, that sounded wrong. When I saw Utah's starting lineup, it seemed like this is going to be an easy win for Dallas. But once again, a Mavericks game came down to like the last possession or two. And Utah is a team that on paper looks like this was a team that was tanking. But those guys are not interested in losing. Those guys are, are playing to win. So as a jazz person, what are your thoughts on, on Utah right now? Because they could end up with the fifth most ping pong balls or something like that. And they could also be in the play-in game. So what what are your thoughts on this weird season for, for Utah so far? Yeah, I think obviously everyone's expectations were tank for when Benyama and, and myself included, I expected to be heavily involved in the, the ping pong ball stakes and, and thinking from the very start of the season, wow, like we're going to have a chance for this. And it's a very different mindset than what jazz fans and the jazz organization has come to expect in recent years and throughout the Utah Jazz's history. However, now the Jazz are sitting in 13th in the West, um, narrowly granted they're 31 and 35 and the 10 spot Pelicans are 31 and 34. So there's not much of a difference um, in that regard. However, the season's been a bit of a roller coaster. The Jazz were number one in the West through 13 games. They were 10 and yep. three. Then, you know, the, the, there was going to be regression to the mean, and in this case, the mean was lower than than that scalding hot start. And then they really started playing well again. Trade deadline happens. You trade Mike Conley, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and then everyone's expectations turn into, oh, okay, now it's tanking time, and the Jazz win three straight games. And then the Jazz kind of hit the injury bug. They've played some good opponents that are that are hungry for wins. And now the Jazz are sitting with an opportunity to contend for a, a good lottery position. And that's a weird way of thinking of it, but that's the way you, you kind of have to think about it for these teams that are in the rebuilding stages. And whether Jazz fans like to admit it or not, they they are in a rebuilding phase after losing Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. So from that regard, I thought the Jazz played their the way they do. They play hard. They play aggressive basketball and are well-coached, put in good positions to succeed but I think they came up short due to their lack of depth today, missing some key co components and contributors. So 
I, I would say that was a good loss if there is such a thing. Like you, you advanced your cause in in terms of the lottery, and you got got players good experience and got better. Like marketing scored thirty three. He's he's getting as many chances to really improve his stock and be that focal point of a team that expects to contend in the near future right now. And so I think that was an overall win for the Jazz, even though it was a tough loss and in the locker room they were a bit demoralized. Yeah, I was after the game. I, I talked to a parent of a jazz player, and even the mom was like, "This is a roller coaster season." Like, we, as far as like the minutes on, on one hand, guys' minutes are kind of fluctuating up and down, and they've changed since um, moves were made. So it's definitely a unique situation. But the scary thing is, well, I don't know if it's scary. All Utah has to do is win three in a row, and now they could end up being in like the 10th spot or or even higher, maybe even eight. And the way they played today, I mean, Dallas was pretty much at full strength and Kyrie had a good game. Luca had a good game. Hardaway Jr. had a good game. And it still came down to the last couple possessions. And so I don't know if that is more of an indicator on Dallas's defensive struggles or just how hard this under this overachieving Utah Jazz team is playing, no matter who is out there, right? I mean, again, like I said, you looked at the lineup before the game, it's like, oh, they're missing key guys. This should be at least a 10, 15 point win in Dallas. And it was a lot closer than that. But all right, let's 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 get into the real reason why people want to listen to us because they want to hear about our draft takes. So dating back a few months ago, you did a Pac-10 preview. And I wanted to go back and give grades on your top five Pac-10 prospects coming into this season. And you can let me know if they exceeded expectations, lived up to expectations, or failed to meet expectations. So back in, let's say, September, who was your number one NBA prospect in the Pac-12? Yeah, it was it was a difficult assessment because there was a lot of unknowns, but it was Kalel Ware. And I was never as high on Ware as many were. A lot of people had him top 10. I, I think I had him 13 in my preseason big board, which was very, very rough. Um, but I would say he's he's underwhelmed my expectations that are set for a lottery guy. And I, I understand the reasons why he did that. And I think it's a lot to do with the fits difficult within a guy like Enfali Dante. They also have a 6'10 small forward and another guy in Quincy Gary is a fifth year senior who's power forward playing the three. And uh, I think, I think I would give him a, in terms of letter grade, I give him a C minus. And, and the reason I think that comes off as harsh, but it's hard to get an A or anything like that when you're expected to be a lottery pick. Like that means you'd have to exceed expectations to get that or meet them. And, and I don't think anyone would say he met them. He's shown flashes, and he was considered to be more of a project than even guys like De- uh, Derek Lively, um, who he was compared with in terms of the center class and who has also underwhelmed his preseason expectations. Kalel Ware is a guy in, at Oregon. The team has not been very good, and there's been added stress to what he's trying to do. He he, he shows flashes. He shoots okay, but he's only shooting 28.3% from three. And that's the kind of the skill thing is what you're hoping for when the production's not there. You need skill flashes. And he's he's averaging 6.6 points per game and 3.8 rebounds while playing 
uh, not that many minutes. And, and for a team that's not that great, it's not like there's a log jam of, of absolute talent in front of them. There's experience, but not absolute talent. So I think maybe I'm coming off a little critical, but if I'm drafting in the lottery, I'm certainly not taking wear. And if I'm, if I'm 14 through 25, I still would be hesitant to take a swing below there. You might as well swing for the fences, but I think that's the way I'd assess his season. Yeah, I think that's really, really fair. I don't think you're being harsh or, or critical at all. It is interesting to see a guy that was a projected lottery pick. Some people, I mean, I saw some people have him as high as like five and six coming into the season for a guy that was rated that high, especially coming off a strong McDonald's. And, and I think he was at the, the hoop summit where he really generated a, a big buzz for himself for a guy that comes in with those type of expectations to kind of struggle gaining minutes. Like he didn't average 20 minutes per game this season and it wasn't on like a loaded team. I could see if it, the team were loaded or even in a situation like the, the kid from Washington that I like Braxton Mia, he didn't play much at Fresno state last year because he was behind Orlando Robinson, who is playing for the Miami heat right now. I don't think, um, and Dante is going to be in the NBA next year. So how much of that do you put into consideration when you think about Khalil Ware as an NBA draft pick? Like, would you put him as a potential first rounder without the pre-college hype? Just based probably. off what you saw right now. Probably not. I, I, I think... You can see that his stroke looks good shooting the ball, and he's big, and he's got defensive instincts, but he's not consistent defensively. And then the other thing that you mentioned there was that he, you know, he's got competition for the five spot. Well, I think part of what made him alluring to people is people thought he could play the four and the five. And I'm not sure I fully bought into that. Like I said, I had a little bit of skepticism because he gained so much traction from one kind of AAU-styled event. Like, it, it was... I don't buy that much from McDonald's or Jordan brand classic. I'd rather watch the peach jam and say like, this guy can play rather than show, show mm -hmm. talent. Cause I think talent's apparent, but you need to watch them play. And so when I watched him play out of high school, I thought there was, there was traits that were good, but they were, they needed to be developed. And I think a lot of people thought, well, he can play the four and the five offensively and he can play the four and the five defensively. And there were, Traits that were left, you know, they left you to be desired because he didn't really show the strengths of those traits because of playing out of position. And they even, I, honestly, I thought Oregon played their best defense playing zone, and that's not very good for prospect analysis, especially for a big um, who's tasked with protecting the rim and being versatile as he was billed to be. So the biggest thing that makes him alluring to me is three-point shooting uh, as a big guy. But I, I would say based off this year, if he were just a random guy, clean sheet, I wouldn't say he was a first round pick and he may well go in the first round due to pedigree from high school, but I, I don't see it based off his college performance. Yeah. And in fairness, the scouts that I talked to were more impressed with how he practiced than how he played in those games. And so they were evaluating him or, or judging him based off of the practices, which everybody I've talked to and, and it's been going on for years. They say the practices are, way more competitive than the games because, you know, the game is supposed to be, especially the McDonald's game, like a fun all-star type event while the practices. And, I, and I've been to like some Jordan brand practices 
they're a lot a lot more spirited all right when we return we'll talk about the next four prospects in the pack 12 but i want to tell you about our new partner and the sponsor of today's episode it is the mobile game the ultimate pro basketball gm have you ever dreamed of becoming an nba gm and managing your basketball franchise well your dream can come true and this game is definitely for you you can manage every strategic aspect of your team play through the season lead your team to glory you get to be responsible for hiring the right coaches and assistants trading and training players making draft picks and navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of the season all of this in a challenging and realistic game world the ultimate pro basketball gm is completely free and playable offline you can play on the go as you want and when you want to now i have not had the opportunity to download the game yet but i've been on this thread of people that have downloaded it and it sounds like it is extremely extremely addictive i know i was at the Mavs game last night and nick angstead from locked on Mavs was playing during timeout so it is very very addictive based off of what i've seen so i do plan on downloading it this week now if you well when you when you download it as a locked on nba big board listener you get a hundred percent free boost to your franchise when you use the promo code locked on in the game store. So make sure you check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com, scan the code or look it up on the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. It is the ultimate basketball GM. So start your dynasty today. And you know, I probably might do this right after I finish recording this episode. All right, once again, you're listening to the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. This is Rafael Barlow with Leaf Tulane. First segment, we talked a little bit about the Utah Jazz, and we only got one player down as far as Leafs preseason Pac-12 grades. So you gave Khalil Ware, the Oregon Center, a C-. minus. All right, who was number two on your preseason, I guess, Pac-12 Big Board? I think I went with Adem Bona, which was a shock over most people had Amari Bailey, but I, I was very high on Adem Bona coming in. So uh, I believe I had him around 20. And uh, I think the evaluation for him is different than where because of the team's success mm-hmm. and the, the role he plays on a team that's veteran laden. So his job is to defend his tail off, rebound, run the floor, finish layups. And, and, and I think he's done his job to a T. Are there things I think he can absolutely improve upon that would make him better? Do I think if he were two inches taller that scouts would look at him differently or if he was uh, playing his high school ball in America as opposed to playing in Turkey? He went to prolific, right, yeah. for a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, he – so he played – He I think the reason I bring that up is I think it changed the evaluation on him because people thought he was more of a finished product because he pl- had played uh, – overseas before and so i think people coming in saw him as a a guy that was raw but shouldn't be because he played there as opposed to seeing him just as a kind of a clean sheet and i i really liked the the defensive like instincts he has like if he were taller i think he'd really be shooting up boards because he makes plays that very few players can make much less at his age he's not wowing with the statute so in terms of grade i give him a, a b b minus i think they're if you were on a team that did not have the Pac-12 player of the year in Jaime Hawkins, that didn't have 
a three-time all Pac-12 first team Tiger Campbell at point guard and guys that are just blue guy extraordinaires and Jalen Clark and David Singleton that there's a there's a chance that he'd have a he'd be a double-double type of player. So I think his evaluation is very nuanced and, and you just got to look at the way he plays the game defensively and then you look for subtle improvements offensively and I think he's made strides on both sides of the ball as the season's progressed, which I always like like a prospect to do. So I'm torn on him. I had the opportunity to watch him years ago. Um, I lived in Turkey, so I was very familiar with his game. And I actually saw him play at the under-18s in 2019, but I want to say he may have been like 16 years old at the time. He was younger, but he was on a team with Alperin Shingun. So I had a chance to watch him way before he was – you know, on the draft radar. And in this particular tournament, Alperin Shingun, Usman Garuba, Santi Aldama, uh, I'm missing somebody else that played in this tournament. It was um, Franz Wagner, Pokashevsky played in this tournament. And I'll say that leaving that tournament, I thought he was the best long-term prospect in that group because he was younger and the athleticism really stood out. And it was just off the charts in that level of competition, which, of course, you know, when you go to European competition, you're not going to see a bunch of like really high flying, quick, twitchy athletes, maybe on France, maybe Germany may have some, but he was the most most athletic player. But when I look at the guys from that tournament, you look at Franz Wagner, who didn't even make the all tournament team. He has developed into a legitimate potential all-star. Alperin Shingun has, I mean, he's been really good for, for Houston. And even with him, the year after I saw him play, he won MVP of the Turkish League, which is, in my opinion, the second best domestic league in Europe. And he's been really good. So I've seen two guys that I feel like have really made – big strides to their game over the last few years. While Bona, to me, is the exact same player. He's still going to be an energy guy, hustle guy. He's going to make some wild plays, blocking shots. My knock on him is he hasn't improved much. He, he You can still say he's raw. I think he's put on too much weight right now. I think he's listed at 235, maybe bigger than that. And he's still, I mean, he's still poppy, twitchy, still athletic. I think he's maybe lost some athleticism compared to what I saw when he was maybe 16. But I had this conversation with someone earlier and they were like, he doesn't need to improve. And they basically were saying if he rebounds, block shots, finishes at the dunker spot, he can have a successful career if he does not add anything to his game. And this per person thought I was being unfair by judging him on his lack of progression, which, I mean, the point is valid, but how many other guys can we say <laughs> if they don't progress, if they haven't got any better, it's, it's totally fine. So um, I agree with your assessment. I think he's shown some flashes and I think that he could possibly end up late first round. All right. Who is number three? Uh, number three was Amari Bailey from UCLA. He was a touted high school recruit out of Sierra Canyon. And, I mean, eyes were on him for a long time with, you know, he had better players around him early on with Zaire Williams, Brandon Boston, and obviously you had the Bronny James attention. But 
when I watched him, I always came to this this conclusion that he was purely speed and left hand, and and the lack of versatility kind of turned me away from him. So I had him very late first round, early second round entering the season, which was significantly lower than most people. I think right now he's probably an early second round pick. So hasn't changed much for me. But in the same sense, he's impressed me the way he's come on after an injury and tried to kind of acquiesce to the the superiors, the the older players on this UCLA team. And he's actually become a winning player. That was a concern of mine because a lot of these type of players – you know, are hand fed the ball. They're they're the the prodigies growing up. They're hand fed the ball. Now they have to make an adjustment to play winning basketball. And Mick Cronin's not exactly an easy coach to say. You know what? I'm going to give you the ball and progress you. Uh, he he's like, I'm going to win. I'm going to win ugly. It doesn't matter how. And so, in a way, I've been impressed by his buy in and competitiveness. I think defensively, he's been okay. Shooting Amari Bailey still leaves a lot to be desired for me. I think he's he's the type of player that you would really need to have a defined role for him. And I'm not sure what role that is for a guard that is, you know, six, four, 190 pounds, shooting 60% from the free throw line, scoring just about 10 points a game though on a very good team. So I'd say he's a mid second rounder for me grade wise. I think it's sort of what I expected, maybe a tad worse because he got injured, but I have been impressed by his buy-in. So I'd give him a C. Um, And I don't know if that's harsh or, or just because I was low on him to begin with that. It doesn't, it doesn't, change my opinion very much and i don't think he's improved with the things that i had question marks about however like i mentioned i think fitting in on a good team in college basketball goes under under the radar for the way people evaluate because his scoring stats aren't very good i think sometimes if he, if he was scoring 14 a game and ucla was a six seed instead of being a potential one seed i think a lot of people would view him as a better prospect but i'm not sure i would i'm gonna share my thoughts after after we talk about FanDuel, but I'll tell you this much before we get into this break. You were higher on him than I was, and you are still higher on him than I am. But let's talk about FanDuel. And with the NBA season winding down, this is the perfect time to download FanDuel. One, because FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And two, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and easy to use. Actually, super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So do not miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com. Slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, and locked on. All right, last segment. We left off talking about Amari Bailey, and I was not high on Amari Bailey at all. And I'll admit that there's certain styles of play that I'm not really big fans of. And I have my blind spots when it comes to evaluating. If it's like a point guard that doesn't really attack the rim or get downhill and is more so like a, a passer, a ball mover, I'm usually not as high on those guys. I mean, I've been wrong. I thought that was Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> now he's an all-star. It depending on who you ask. There are some people that think in a 2020 redraft, he might go number one. 
I would I would still take Anthony Edwards over him. So that's a blind spot. Um, um, the kid Dyson Daniels was a blind spot for me. He kind of fits that mold. And then there are guys that are like these, I guess, kind of undersized twos that aren't necessarily point guards that are volume scorers that I think would have looked good in the 2000s NBA where it was isolation heavy and guys that are volume scorers that aren't efficient off the catch. Those are guys that I'm really not high on. I was not high on Josh Christopher at all. And Josh has shown some flashes. He was good at summer league. And when he does get minutes for, for the Rockets, he can't fill it up. One guy that fits that bill, I was a little higher, but I think he could shoot a little bit, was Alonzo Trier. I really liked Alonzo Trier, and he has mysteriously disappeared after having a style. I think he has like 10 points a game for the Knicks as a rookie. And Amari Bailey reminds me of Josh Christopher in a sense. And I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. Like, it's weird to say this. It's really weird to say this, and maybe a few people may get it. There are certain players that I feel like model their game too much after Kobe and they model their game after taking like tough shots and isolation basketball and and it's no knock on trying to be the next Kobe Bryant but I think like unless you're the best player on your team and are going to be featured it's really hard to be this tough shot taker maker guy in the NBA because you may not have that role. I think, you know, it's easier for a guy to be like a complimentary player. So I said all that to say this. I was not big on Amari Bailey because I did not think he was a complimentary player. He could play a complimentary role. I've been wrong about that. He's he's done fine. I thought the fit at UCLA was weird because Cronin is, and I've heard people knock him. I, I've I've heard someone tell me that the people at UCLA don't like him. The fans don't like him. But he's winning, so they accept his style of play. They'd much rather have someone that is playing fast and playing a more sexier type offense as opposed to like this Midwestern style. I mean, I've heard people say he's more so of a Big Ten coach than a Pac-12 coach. That's not my opinion. That's just what I think. Well, they're going to the Big Ten. And they are going to the Big Ten, which is so weird to me. Could you imagine like they're playing Rutgers? (laughs) That'll be weird. Yeah, it's going to be weird. So I agree with you, though, uh, on this assessment. And I, that was why I was low. And one thing I wanted to mention is uh, I typically don't like guards that find their best isolation scoring to be mid-range jumpers. Contested and, mid-range jumpers. Yes. And I, I hadn't, like, attributed it to the Kobe effect. And we, we've talked about, like, shot-making before. We we talked about this in July about Brandon Miller. and you And you posited that, he takes difficult shots. And my, my response was that, well, he can make them. I haven't gotten that sense from a guy like Amari Bailey. I, I had I had qualms about Johnny Davis for his shot selection, similar, even though he was a different player than Amari Bailey. But uh, I mentioned that to bring up, I, I agree with your point that I think the reason that I would say he's draftable, I would recommend he comes back to school. Uh, I wanted to clarify that. But I would say the reason he's draftable to me is because of the buy-in that he's demonstrated for a team that's not necessarily easy to play on and he's got the athletic traits that are rare enough that at that size he can still defend acceptably i just don't think he scores well and that's why in the nba setting and that's why i would return to ucla or transfer for a second year 
Yeah, even if he returns to school, like unless he shows that, and this is my opinion, unless he shows that he is going to be a better shooter off the ball, then I don't know how much it's going to really help him. But my knocks on him coming into the year, my notes are pretty brutal. And I, <laughs> I thought he pounded the ball too much. I thought he forced shots. The biggest thing I did not like was he did not pass the ball ahead in transition when I watched him and in high school. I thought he had a lot of drives without a plan, and then he's not a great free throw shooter. So at least if you're going to be like this super aggressive downhill scorer and tough shot taker, you're going to get fouled a lot with the aggression, and he's still not a great free throw shooter when he's aggressive. But you're right. He has bought in better than I thought he would. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't have him on my draft board, not not in my top 60. All right, number four. Who's number four? Jaime Hawkes for me, was my preseason number four. Um, I, I think he's what I expected him to be on the college side of things. I still have tempered expectations for him in the NBA. Just, like, I buy the grit. I buy the buy-in. I... I think he's a good shot maker. I just don't know what he what his role is at the NBA. So that makes me skeptical. So I think he's the type of guy who can be picked 55th and make mm-hmm. a team. But for boards that have him, you know, 33, 34, I, I just I wonder why you'd take him there. Like what's the desired role? So in terms of his exceeding my ex- expectations or meeting them, he's, he's exactly what I thought he'd be, just a little better than the year before at UCLA. He was already an all Pac 12 performer. And now he's a borderline All-American, probably will be a second-team All-American, maybe third-team. And, and that's exactly what I thought he would be. So I don't really have much to add. He's a good rebounder. He's a tenacious competitor. I just don't love the trans transition to be an NBA player. And if, if there's a UCLA wing that has a chance to make the NBA, it's probably his teammate Jalen Clark, um, who's exceeded my expectations greatly this year, but he wasn't in my top, preseason top five for the Pac-12 prospects just because he'd only played a complementary role. And he wasn't that like he was a good defender, but he didn't like jump off the page as a great defender like he has this year. And he his shooting has cooled off. He got off to a really, yeah. a really hot start. Yeah, I guess I don't know, man. I'm I on one hand, I'm like, man, the production is there. Other hand, I don't know exactly what position he plays, but then you see the NBA's position list. So it's like it should benefit him more than it would have years ago when guys were kind of strictly put into boxes as ones, twos, threes, and fours. The shooting is concerning because it's declined every year. I want to, well, I want to say like it peaked out as a sophomore, went down as a junior. It's down to like 32% as a senior. I did talk to a scout about it and I was asking, was he concerned? And he said he was a little bit concerned about the shooting, but he thinks that with a reduced role, that the three-point shooting could at least go back to what it was as a sophomore. I don't know if you have the sophomore shooting splits in front of you. But anyway, I'm I'm torn on him. I know I had him in my, my second round, but when I see people have him high second round, I've seen – I think I've seen somebody had him as a late first-round pick, and then I've had people, like, email me talking about I should have him hire my board, and they give me all these statistical breakdowns on why he's better than player A, B, C, and D. But I'm just torn, and I think he's a guy that if you ask 10 scouts, you may get half of them think that he's you know, worthy of 
early second round. And some may say, I don't even know if he's on my, my top 60. So he's going to be pretty, pretty divisive. But at the end of the day, I mean, the production is, is there. And what was your grade for him? Um, He's exactly what I expected. So I'll, I'll give him a B. Uh, I think I just didn't think there's anything that he did. That's overwhelmed me in the positive or the negative. I wish he were shooting better from three, but that's not really his game. Like he, he's he's a guy who does love the mid range. He's a tough shot maker, tough shot maker. But uh, I, I like like you. I I I, I struggle to see a way where some a team's picking at thirty five and they're like, you know what, we're gonna take a twenty two year old six seven guy that plays more like a four than a two, and and so I, I'm, I guess I'm pessimistic for his his futures, his prospects for the NBA, but I love the tenacity that gritty plays with yeah he shot 39 percent from three on about three attempts as a sophomore 27 as a junior 32 as a senior and it was 31 as a freshman so it's like 31 39 27 32 i mean i guess you'd have to say three of the years he's hovered around low 30s <laughs> so that's probably a little bit more of an accurate assessment even the free throw shooting is weird because the year that he shot 39% from three, he shot 65% from the free throw line. Like, I don't know what, what to think here. All right, number five, last prospect. I thought we were going to be able to get to the Big 12, but we have to save that for another episode. So who is the number five prospect that you had coming into the season, and how do you think they fared? Uh, for me, coming into the season, it was Azulis Tubelis. Um, I He's exceeded my expectation. He was at the bottom. He was probably 50, 55 type of pick uh, entering the year to me, and now he's made a case that he can go higher. I still have my my pessimism uh, regarding him. I think his his game doesn't translate to the modern NBA as well as it would have a couple of years ago, even 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. because he lives in the paint. He, he's very reliant on his left hand. And a lot of his scoring production comes on uh, running the floor. He's a great rim runner, but I don't think that's going to be a super um, apparent trait that shows up in an NBA game. And I don't think uh, the spacing is great. Maybe it makes him drive better, but I don't think they're going to. He's going to be a focal point of an NBA team. So I think he's exceeded my expectations for a player in terms of his production. So I'd give him a, a similar to Hawk as a B B plus, but uh, I I've got my concerns about how he translates as an NBA defender. What position does he play at the NBA? I think he's better su- served as a five, but I don't think he can defend the five in the NBA. And offensively, I just don't think he'll have the same skills. I think Jalen Clark's the better prospect now, but entering the season, I had two Bellas as five because there was not really many defined players. F.A. Abogidi was the guy I initially thought, and obviously he went to the G League. What about his former teammate, Mohamed Gay? Where did you have him? Uh, Muhammad Gay. So I only did a top five, so he wasn't on there, but he would have been on the very short list of six or seven. I was high. End. I think, honestly, I thought he should have been the sixth man of the year last year. Um, and it went to Pella Larson. So I, I was high on him. I just didn't, I didn't put him in the top five. So I didn't really have a grade on him, but I think he's got a chance to make the league. I'd come back for one more year if I was Muhammad Gay though. It's, it's interesting. He was on my radar. He's pretty much doubled his production as far as points. And he's done the things that you expected him to or you would like for him to have improved on. 
and it still doesn't seem like he's really done enough. Talking about 14 points, eight rebounds per game. He's shown flashes of being able to really shoot the ball. At least last year, I thought he showed some flashes, but then I looked at the free throw percentage, and it was pretty brutal. This year, 26% from three, which is not great. 67% from the foul line, but he still shows flashes of having touched to me. So I think that he is a, a better NBA prospect than than Tabulis. Is that, is that how you say his name? Tubelis, I think. Tubelis. Tubelis. Okay. Tubelis. Right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Again, I wanted to get to the Big 12. So I'm going to put you on a hot spot here. Can you make a promise to come back on and, and do the Big 12 grades? Absolutely. I'm, I'm always here for college ball talk. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for making Locked On Big Board your first listen of the day. Now you have to check out Game to Game NBA. The Game to Game NBA podcast is on Locked On NBA channel. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it's Rafael Bardo, Leaf Tulane, and we are out.